Welcome to episode 206 of X-Lapsed And uh, if you're back with me after last episode, um, I can't thank you enough <laughs> That was a very, very tough episode Episode 205, talking about X-Corp That was a, oof, that was a tough one That was a very tough one here So if you're back, uh, it means the world to me that you'd come back to uh, this episode here Now today, we're going to be talking about a penultimate issue, unfortunately The second-to-last issue of X-Factor, which... Well, for all intents and purposes, may as well just be the finale because, uh, you know, next issue is going to be Hellfire Gala. I'm sure that uh, Leo Williams isn't going to get a whole heck of a lot of time to really uh, devote to closing off um, things that she introduced during this uh, very, very fun volume. So let's get into it here. Now, this is, of course, X-Factor, Volume 4, Number 9. This had a July 2021 cover date. The story is called Interlude, DJ Mark's Mixtape of Mojoverse Beats to Make Out To, which is somehow, um, like, a tame <laughs> tame title compared to what we usually get here. Uh, of course, our writer, Leah Williams, art, David Baldion, colors, Israel Silva, letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna, designs, Tom Muller, head of Exus Hickman. Edits, Andrews, Bo- Andrews Belasteros, one of these days I'll be able to say that, Thomas White and Sabolski, cover price $3.99, went on sale May 12 of 2021. Now, we open with a mostly blank quote page from Wind Dancer. Remember Sophia, who, uh, who we saw blow her own brains out on uh, Adam X's show in Mojo World, or the Mojoverse. I, I don't know what, you're, what we're calling it here. Uh, she's talking about how now she is the babysitter to either Mojo World or the Mojoverse, whatever we're calling it. This kind of spoils where we're headed here. Uh, maybe this should have been the last page? I mean, for all I know, maybe it is the last page of the digital version, because it's not like weekly print comics are all that much of a priority these days. Now, double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters include North Star, Prodigy, Prestige, Eyeboy, Polaris, Dak and Dakin, and uh, Aurora with the Roll Eyes. Now, we open with X-Factor traipsing and chrono-skimming through Siren's psyche in order to seek out and root out the Morrigan. Now, there isn't a whole lot to see here, because the Morrigan has made this place rather hazy. All we really can see clearly is this giant purple and black eyeball hovering over some trees here. Now, you see the team is trying to check out Siren's memories from before the resurrection protocols were a thing. Specifically, the Founders Party that we saw at the end of House of X number 6, and we talked about that at length way back in episode 11 of this program, a hundred years ago. Now, uh, Rachel explains that uh, she keeps hearing the word 
Gaius, Gaius, Gaius. It's a G-E-A-S. Um, since I'm sure I'm like pronouncing it like I'm talking about a bunch of gooses, geese. I don't know. Now, Dakin Dakin refers to this as a god-powered gag order, and Prodigy expands upon that. It's something out of Irish folklore, which I mean, despite me being very Irish myself, I've never heard of. So maybe I'm a lapsed Irish. I don't know. Now the gimmick here is that a Gaius, Gaius, is a set of conditions imposed on someone from an extra-human or godlike being uh, in order to make them do something under threat of punishment, right? So we might assume here that the Morgan is burying Siren's memories here. This is, uh, she doesn't want the, uh, you know, the her origin in as far as what this story pertains to to be known. Now, back in the real world, Kyle, who, thanks to Leia Williams, is someone I can actually follow, finally call by name when I see him, because, I mean, who knew his name before this? Uh, he returns home from babysitting Jubilee's baby Benjamin Button here, um, and that's a, a movie reference, uh, which I don't know if I'm actually using right, because I don't see movies, but uh, Shogo seems to be de-aging every time we see him, and I think that's the gimmick of that Benjamin Button movie, so uh, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, he asks Polaris, who is remaining outside of the Chrono Skim, what's going on. Inside, Rachel has what she refers to as a terrible idea, and so she pops out to chat up Lorna about it. And I sure hope she's not thinking about uh, growing out that rat tail again, because that it would be a pretty terrible idea. Though, I mean, the lady who cuts my hair did say that mullets were on their way back. I, I don't get it. Anyway, thankfully that is not her plan here. Now, her plan has more to do with making a mutant daisy chain of sorts, uh, you know, using powers in tandem. We're seeing a lot of that uh, these days, aren't we? And, uh, and that, that works. Now, this will somehow uh, softball the team past the Gius. Doesn't make much sense to me, but I'll just take Rachel's word for it. Now, in a cute bit, Kyle asks Rachel to ask Northstar what he wants for dinner. You see, John Paul is currently inside Siren's psyche, so it's kind of funny that Kyle's trying to use Rachel as a uh, go-between here. Now, Rachel looks at him like he's got three heads, but she does it anyway. Now, neither of them can figure out what they want to eat tonight, uh, but neither of them really want to cook either. Rachel finally says screw it and just pops Kyle into the psyche so they can, you know, talk this out, hash this out. It's a fun little sidebar, and just another one of those reasons why I'm going to be missing this book so much when it ends. Anyway, once dinner's decided... Well, it's actually not. Northstar just says to order out to whoever might deliver to Krakoa, so we don't know what they're having. Now, after that, our team heads even further into the psyche, and they happen across a full-page spread of what looks like a blackened heart. So, full-pager. I mean, I'm guessing the axe might not have fallen on this book until after this one was drawn, because that's not efficient use of uh, the few pages we have left. Anyway, info-page, and... Um, you know I complain a lot about info pages, and you know that I always mention that I complain a lot about info pages, but, well, damn it, here's another thing about X-Factor that I'm going to miss. Um, now, what we get in this info page looks like it was going to be leading to a great story. It's Northstar having a text conversation with Danny Moonstar, talking about how he doesn't exactly trust the Quiet Council. Now, if you recall, Professor X had inquired about I-Boy's powers, because they had uh, been shown as being far more powerful than anyone could have ever told. And he asked if John Paul would keep the Council updated, to which, in awesome North Star fashion, he simply responded with a no. So it sucks that we're not going to be getting any more of this. 
And yet, we have Excalibur and X-Corp stinking up the shelves. It's just not fair, is it? Anyway, back to comics and back inside the psyche. iBoy does that thing where he sees through stuff, as we just, uh, you know, had reference to in that info page. And Northstar, he warns him not to, maybe not to tell anyone about this ability. Which, of course, continues that story thread that, uh, we're probably not going to get to see play out here. Now, Dakin, Dakin, suggests that this nasty beating heart, or whatever it is, uh, needs or demands a blood sacrifice. Northstar asks what this, uh, what the goal of this would be, right? Dakin, Dakin figures that maybe it'll wake up the enchantment. I'm not exactly sure what any of this means, but uh, we'll just go with it. From here, the uh, Gaius, or Gaius, whatever it is, it drops a riddle on our team here. Goes a little something, or exactly, like this. A father to his father, a warrior who is no killer, a traveler who goes nowhere, a secret keeper who shares everything, bring an impossibility to battle and win, and only then will the Morrigan admit defeat. And, since we're in heavy truncation mode here, Prodigy solves this riddle in the very next panel. Now, the Gius requires Shatterstar. Now, we knew we'd eventually be getting back to him, yes, uh, but I ask you this. How does Shatterstar solve this riddle? Huh. Well, Prodigy doesn't want to answer it because... Holy smokes, is it confusing. It would probably take up the second half of this issue just to, uh, try and make sense of it. I will do my best to fill in the blank here. Now, you all remember X-Men Volume 2, Number 11, right? Uh, that was the last Jim Lee issue. And in it, the blue team, the X-Men blue team, uh, they went into Mojo World, or the Mojo-verse, whichever it is, and they had an adventure with Longshot and Dazzler. Now, it was revealed there that Allison was pregnant. That was the end of the issue. And it was assumed that Shatterstar might be the baby. Now, Shatterstar was only around for like a year at this point, and uh, folks had been pointing out some similarities between he and Longshot. And of course, this was the early 90s where like every character had to have some sort of nebulous connection to another character, or at least an assumed connection. Now, this wouldn't be touched on for many, many, many years. And I think a lot of us just, like, registered it in our brain as, like, maybe it was just a nod, a cute little funny thing to, you know, address fan speculation, or maybe an Easter egg. And it would actually be revealed that Allison lost the baby around X-Men uh, 47, 48-ish, Volume 2, of course. This is right after the Age of Apocalypse here. Um, you may remember these issues from, like, the X-Babies being on the cover, which uh, was a spectacularly dull story, but... It's where we found out that Allison lost the baby. Only she didn't lose the baby. Um, she successfully delivered the baby, Shatterstar, but had her brain mind-wiped of the event. And then Shatterstar was swept a hundred years into the future, where he was experimented on by Arise, or Arise. This is uh, the scientist from the Longshot miniseries. Now, Arise, Arise, would uh, create Longshot from Shatterstar's DNA. Then, back in the past, or present, I guess, Longshot would knock Allison up, and she'd have Shatterstar. Kind of a paradox, right? But, uh, in essence, Shatterstar is the father to his father. You dig? Now, uh, this was all explained far better in X-Factor number 259. That was September 2013, cover date by Peter David, uh, who seemed to be having a real good time playing with this, uh, very, very odd concept, and 
I tell you, when I read it, it made perfect sense. But when I think about it now, it's like, how did that work? <laughs> One of these days I'll have to actually go back and read that uh, that little arc there. I think it was uh, the end of X-Factor or the... I, it was something like that. But it was, uh, it was fun. So now, we're off to the Mojoverse to save Shatterstar. Only problem here is that X-Factor's been banned... You know, after their stay there, they're not allowed to come back. So they're going to have to enlist the aid of some pals in order to get this done. I don't know why they're adhering to the ban, considering what they're about to do in the Mojoverse, but uh, I guess maybe they're trying to be diplomatic. And so let's do a second roll call this issue. DJ, the kid who we saw in uh, Way of X. Lila Cheney, who we see in Sword. Windancer, who we... Just saw in friggin' X-Corp Surge, who is a really nice piece of X-Men wallpaper And Dazzler, Shatterstar's mother And, uh, maybe sorta kinda daughter-in-law Maybe was thought to be at one point Or, I, I, I her and Longshot never got married But, uh, you get what I'm trying to say here Now they are being sent in as a distraction They're gonna put it on this, like, rockin' concert Like we see on the cover while the New Mutants rush the big boss, Mojo himself, to overthrow the entire works. So, uh, taking Mojo World out? Uh, that's a story I, I will wholeheartedly endorse. Um, can we hire the New Mutants to maybe take out Saturnine and Omenas Verendi next, so we don't have to deal so much with Madripoor and Otherworld? Huh? Maybe? Now, in this page here, we get a Nature Girl appearance, which I guess I don't have too many bad things to say about, since she doesn't actually get a line. Those of you who have listened to Generation X Lapsed know uh, that Nature Girl is not one of my favorites. Now, to the story, unfortunately, it doesn't really get any room to breathe here. Uh, We are in heavy truncation mode. It's basically a two-page spread of this concert, and then a page of magic threatening Mojo into signing on to a uh, Krakoan partnership treaty. And uh, that's it. Like, really. Um... And I mean, I can't hold this against our creative team. They've only got like a half dozen pages left to tie off these loose ends. And uh, Ms. Williams did say that uh, the axe came down on this book while she was halfway through uh, this issue. So, I mean, we don't have a lot of time here. And next issue, as we mentioned, I mean, this is basically it. Um, Because we have the Hellfire Gala, so it's not going to be... I don't think it's going to be a traditional X-Factor issue. Kind of like the X of Swords issue we had here where... Only Polaris showed up and didn't do a whole lot of X-Factoring, right? So this, I think for all intents and purposes, this is sadly it. So yeah, now Mojo World, or the Mojoverse, is now in cahoots with Krakoa. And Windancer is designated babysitter of the place, which we, you know, found out in the little quote in the beginning. And Shatterstar is now free to leave. Now, in an awkward bit, he thanks Dazzler for the assist... And Allison gives him, like, a no prob, Bob, which uh, tells me that maybe she doesn't know that he's really her son. Maybe? I I can't remember. Whatever the case, she doesn't have time to chat, because, don't you know, there's a Hellfire Gala coming up? We gotta mention that. We've got to mention that. We cannot forget. So from here, Shatterstar has to fight the Morrigan. And so he does. Now, we learn here that Siren struck a deal with the Morrigan. You see, the baddie decided that she was going to kill lots and lots and lots of mutants. Now, Siren offered herself up as, like, a regular mutant sacrifice instead. Like, she would die over and over and over again to save her fellow mutants from the same fate. Which, I mean, that is noble, right? 
but we've got the resurrection protocols, and the overall devaluing of mutant life and death uh, doesn't really speak to this to me. Anyway, we jump into like this weird sort of tapestry. Uh, the Morrigan story is being told sort of like like an ancient myth or something here, like it's on a scroll. Now, she's upset that the mutants have beaten death, and as such, they have no use for or fear of a death goddess such as herself. And so, she decided an endless stream of mutant deaths would be in her best interest to, uh, I don't know, maintain rev- relevance? Um, it doesn't much matter. Shatterstar runs her through with his blades. And, as the Morrigan dies, she puts a curse on Shatterstar and Richter, and that's where we leave it. Next time out, we've got Way of X number two. I've been looking forward to that one um, since uh, closing Way of X number one and putting it back in its uh, in its bag. I just could not wait. It's weird how um, this week of X lapsed for uh, those of you who f- are following in real time. A very um, bipolar week. Uh, we've got Man Thing and X Corp on one hand, and then we've got books like this, X Factor, which is wonderful, and uh, Way of X, which boy, is on a whole other level. It's uh, quite the whiplash here in terms of uh, quality and, or or I guess my perception of quality and my overall enjoyment of uh, not only these books, but uh, I guess performing these episodes here. So it's it's very weird. But uh, let's talk about this issue here, which, I mean, the watchword is truncation, right? And it sucks. It really sucks that they uh, that they pulled the plug with so little notice because there are so many fun things about this series that I'd like to see play out. I want to see Aurora and Dakin Dakin do whatever they're going to do together. I don't know what is going to happen to them. Are they going to still be... Are they still going to be featured anywhere? I don't know. I mean, Leia Williams is going on to do the Trial of Magneto mini, so... I'm guessing X-Factor might play a role there, but, I mean, I don't see them being the primary focus, considering that, uh, you know, it is a Magneto-based story, and it looks like it's going to be... I don't know if it's going to be informing what's to come here, but I think it's going to have some... Um, it's going to have some pretty big ramifications on it, and unfortunately, I think that's a little bit above the relevance level of X-Factor, if we're going by things like sales figures, um, which we don't have solid sales figures, but it is always at the bottom of the uh, of the X list here, uh, alongside Cable and uh, and Excalibur. But uh, only two of those books got canceled. Huh, that's weird. Anyway, I want to see more of this Dakin Dakin Aurora relationship. I want to see more of North Star growing into a leadership role. I want to see more about his distrust of the Quiet Council and iBoy's progression here as to finding out a little bit more about what he can see here. How far can he see? Can he see through time? Can he see the past? Can he see through walls? Can he see the no place? So many questions that I'd like to see answered, and unfortunately, we just don't have adequate time to address all of them. Uh, prodigy. We have, we have the possibility that there's another Prodigy out there. Is this going to be picked up again? I just don't know. Now, one of the things that we've mentioned a lot and uh, has been brought up on the Facebook group with our friends over there is that X-Factor is one of the handful of books that actually has a reason to exist, right? It has a mission statement that's different from just like, here are just some mutants, you know, read about them, <laughs> buy the book because it's it's got the Tom Muller, uh, you know, uh, typeface on it. 
this actually has a reason to exist here. It's, it's about, you know, investigating, looking into and exploring mutant deaths here, confirming mutant deaths here. I think this is something that had actual legs under it, right? Despite the fact that I, you know, I was not a fan of the mojo bit at the beginning, right? But it played into the overarching story that we're going for here. We needed to confirm that Windancer was dead in order to bring her back, right? And so we had to actually, not so much forensically look into things here, but in a way, kind of, right? We had to go and we had to find out exactly what happened. And, I mean, it, it's just a fun idea. I mean, more on that, uh, we had uh, Aurora die in the first issue. We don't know exactly what happened there to her in Washington State. So many good things about this book. And it just it has a reason to exist. Meanwhile, it's like we've got the book about Otherworld, which doesn't friggin' matter anymore. We've got X-Corp, which never mattered. We've got Wolverine fighting vampires. <laughs> I mean, oh boy, I, I mean, Wolverine is still selling very, very well. We don't have numbers, of course, but it is usually the second highest selling X-Book in the entire line, so... I guess we'll hand that one to them. Um, so what do we got here? Uh, we have more of the Morrigan, which I think is a story. Uh, maybe overstayed its welcome a little bit, especially considering how uh, precious these remaining pages are, right? We don't have a whole lot of real estate to play with here, and the fact that the axe fell during the Morrigan story is kind of unfortunate because I don't know that we were going to learn about the Morrigan just yet. It feels like we were going to have to explore a little bit more. I think this was going to get a lot more room to be fleshed out. And um, unfortunately, it wasn't. And uh, instead, we're jam-packing this in here. We have the very, very abrupt shift into Mojo World, um, which, again, not a fault of the creative team. They are doing the very best they can with what little uh, paginal real estate they have left. And as such, they did a, they did a spectacular job given the circumstances here. I love that there's an actual effort being placed here in tying off loose ends here. And as you know, it's funny. I think about, uh, and I think I've referenced this before, but when Reggie and I were covering the Young Animal books, and uh, this is where you all roll your eyes at uh, another mention of the Young Animal books and the Young Animal Gatherum series here on the channel, available in the archives if you want them, there was a very abrupt cancellation uh, during the second season of those books where... The axe fell, and basically creators had one of two options. They either truncate, they cut some of the fat, they trim some of the fat here, and uh, they get their story where it needs to be. They get their story to the point where they can comfortably end it, or they jam everything in there and don't give anything room to breathe. They don't let go of any of their brilliant ideas. They just push them all in there where none of them have the impact that they were supposed to. And then you're left with a bloated mess. The examples in Young Animal were Mother Panic Gotham AD, which did a great job of just trimming the fat. You know, took out bits that were probably going to get their own story arc. But with the realization that you only have X amount of pages left decided not to uh, pursue everything, right? Left some of the things out, omitted bits that may not serve the the abrupt ending here. Uh, maybe just took little bits and pieces. On the other hand, you have Shade the Changing Woman, 
that um, was just uh, so convinced with its own brilliance <laughs> that it tried to stick everything in there. It There were so many storylines that were not given any room to breathe here. Nothing was yanked out. It was just shove, 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 and it was to its detriment. Now, I can understand both schools of thought. You know, you can pull things out to tell a more succinct story that'll maybe read a little bit better in collected edition uh, later on down the line here, won't overwhelm the reader. And I can also see wanting to cram as much as you can in there because you don't know if you're ever going to get an opportunity to... I mean, is there going to be another Shade the Changing Girl or Shade the Changing Woman book? Probably not. So you probably just got to get... You got to get your stuff in. So I can understand the reasoning for it. I don't like it, and I didn't like the way they did it, but I can understand it. Here with X-Factor, we're not shoving, 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 shoving. We are pulling little elements out here. We're leaving things for either Leah Williams to carry on later, or maybe for another writer to pick up on. These mysteries that we're talking about, um, the Dak and Aurora relationship, the prodigy, um, the dupe, the potential dupe of prodigy, iBoy's ever-increasing powers here. What happened to Aurora in Washington? A lot of these questions that we're not going to get the room to get answers for, we're not just cramming in information here to do it. That said, hopefully I'm not being a little premature here, and hopefully next issue of X Factor, issue 10, won't have like our, you know, our team sitting at a table at the Hellfire Gala all talking about all the secrets, right? It's like, oh yes, we found out that David has a has a dupe, and we uh, we took care of it already. It's done. Or oh yeah, I boy can see this. And did you know Mora's living underground? Hopefully we don't do that kind of thing. Hopefully we just uh, we let those things bubble and simmer, and hopefully they get picked up again somewhere down the line here. Overall, this is a difficult issue to really discuss outside of the uh, outside of the external you know circumstances here. I enjoyed it. Some of it I didn't understand because, uh, you know, the mysticism and the Gaius stuff, Gaius stuff, I don't, I don't get it. But I, I'm, the way it was told, I was given enough information to roll with it. So it was fine. I don't have any complaints considering, you know, the circumstances, of course. So if you're enjoying X Factor, you'll enjoy this issue. Um, it's a little bit different from other issues where our characters really don't get a whole lot of room to shine here, um, especially during the second half. The first half feels very much like a traditional Volume 4 X-Factor issue here. We've got, you know, Kyle and Northstar talking about dinner. <laughs> you know, that was fun. That was very fun. Uh, when when Rachel's about to Rachel's about to give her the team the uh, the plan, her awful idea, and I think Northstar or somebody says, I'm all ears, and then iBoy says, I'm all, and everyone's like, no, don't say it, don't say it, and he goes, eyes. And it was funny. It was cute. Felt very much like a, you know, just like a regular issue of this book. But then the worm turned, the axe fell, and we had to just sprint for the end here. So, a lot to like, a lot to get frustrated about. Not pertaining to this book, but just to the uh, to the nature of comics, I guess, right now. But uh, worth a read. If you're enjoying this book, you'll enjoy this issue. So, uh, not a whole heck of a lot more to say, even though I've droned on for quite some time. Uh, let's put a pin in that for now and head over to the mailbag here where we've got we've got a tale of two Hellions here. We've got two discussions of Hellions number 10. 
And then we have a day and date missive from uh, Andrew about the very book we covered today. So let's start with Damien, who's talking about Hellions number 10. He says, Hellions always hits a certain level of competence. The characters are well presented and the dialogue works, but I've struggled to enjoy this arc. I really don't like this current version of Arcade. It's pretty clear that when Claremont and Byrne invented him, they were looking to create a Marvel version of the Joker. Throughout Claremont's run, he was always childish and often extremely murderous, but never sadistic. Since Avengers Arena, he seems to be following the same trajectory as the actual Joker. I don't want to see him pulling teeth. I particularly dislike the implication that Arcade would be using Ms. Locke as a sex robot. This seems like a complete misunderstanding of their relationship. When she was alive, Arcade and Ms. Locke were shown as two friends who enjoyed playing games together, and there was absolutely no sexual chemistry between them. In fact, Claremont strongly suggested that Arcade was gay. He also implied that Ms. Locke was romantically interested in Courtney Ross during the early Excalibur run. If you really want Arcade to be sexing his robots, go for something crazy, like one of the Looney Tunes takeoffs from that Marvel Comics Presents Excalibur story. And you know, I, I agree in that um, I see a character like Arcade as being in like a weird arrested development, right? He's, he's very immature, he's very childish. Uh, as you mentioned, he, you know, he's a childish character. I don't see him as being sexual in any way. I could see him getting getting his jollies off pulling Sinister's teeth. That I could see. I could see him doing that simply to, like, out-Sinister Sinister, right? Because he's even in there, in that issue, like, Sinister agrees to do the clone farm, like, right off the bat. And, of course, we find out that that was kind of always the plan in the first place. Sinister and Mastermind were trying to use Arcade to facilitate this sort of uh, deniability in the clone farm. And that was the ultimate goal. So he says, yes, I want to do it. And Arcade's like, well, no, you're, you're ruining the game. I, I, I want to torture you. I want to hurt you. I want to, I want to do the things that you're going to do. You know, I want to, I want to play. And uh, I can see him pulling teeth. I, I, I kind of dug that. The Mizlock sex robot thing, I agree. It was a, it's a funny way to uh, show Arcade as being depraved. Um, and it makes you question what he might do with these clones before he kills them over and over and over again. Uh, you know, but uh, I don't see him as being sexual at all. That said, I maybe not for Arcade, but I do like the idea. I like the idea that this is something that he's going to do here, especially considering we get some really fun reactions. Like we have Sinister watching Havoc um, humping the <laughs> the Madeline Pryor robot, and he's kind of just like, ugh. And Arcade kind of takes offense to that because he's like, well, that's kind of what I'm doing too. I like that as a, as a trope, I guess, or as a, I don't know, um... As a layer of characterization, just maybe not for Arcade, I guess. Uh, Damien continues, Of course, the character work was on point. I definitely feel like Quanon's story is coming to a head. I do hope her appearances in Excalibur don't derail this Hellion storyline. I'm glad that Madeline Pryor is still a part of this book, even after her death and lack of resurrection. I'm fascinated to see where this goes. We know there's another Inferno coming. Could Alex be a key part of it? Now, I, too, am hopeful that Quanan showing up in Excalibur, like, I think for the past three or four issues, I hope that's not leading to something more uh, where where we're going to have, you know, Betsy and Quanan on Excalibur. I don't need to see that. We've seen quite enough of it. 
it's only in this book that we're, you know, we're actually building a character here. It feels like for the first time ever, Quanan is stepping out of, you know, her purple-haired shadow here a little bit. You know, we're actually getting conflict of hers that doesn't... I mean, of course, we did have the, the mojo-eyed Betsy's attacking her in this story here, but at the core of it, it's about her child. It's about Quanan's uh, daughter, which doesn't have a whole lot to do with Betsy. It's its own thing. It's actually a story that we don't need Betsy for. <laughs> we don't need to repeatedly reference the fact that, did you know, Betsy Braddock once inhabited Quanon's body. We don't need to see that crap here. This is something altogether different. So hopefully, hopefully Teeny will be done with her over next caliber after the Hellfire Gala. And uh, hopefully Hellions doesn't get canceled after the Hellfire Gala. And we can get a little bit more of this here. Uh, Madeline being part of this book, she still looms large over this book, which is something I was afraid was not going to happen. Part of me thought that once they decided not to bring her back, Alex was going to pout for a minute and then just be over it. I like that we're still playing with what is a very traumatic thing, right? Um, She was alive not too long ago, and the Quiet Council refuses to bring her back despite the fact that you know, their laws on clones are uh, a little wishy-washy, but uh, it makes it seem like the Madeline uh, lack of resurrection is a little bit more personal, and I'm pretty sure we can probably tell that it, it is. Now, I don't know that she'll be part of Inferno. Uh, Inferno is an interesting thing where I feel like we're being pulled in a couple of different directions with it. I feel like the name in and of itself is meant as a misdirection. Like, we're supposed to evoke... You know, thoughts of the Goblin Queen and Sinister and, 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 you know, these babies being taken into limbo when it'll be perhaps a Mystique and Destiny story instead. Also, I feel like we might be veering, we might be overcorrecting a little bit and just assuming that, no, no, it can't be about babies. It's got to be about Mystique and Destiny, to which maybe it won't be. You know, it's, it's very interesting because I, I couldn't tell you exactly what's what just yet. The only thing that I can say about Inferno is that uh, I'm just kind of annoyed that we're just getting these events back to back to back to back here. Uh, it feels like we're not, we can't get through with what well, we haven't even started the Hellfire Gala when they announced Inferno, which is like two major story arcs away. We've got Hellfire Gala, Trial of Magneto, and Inferno. It's like, how can we, can we just, can we take care of now? You know, can we enjoy now? Instead of worrying about what's to come for just like just a little while, I mean, ever since X of Swords ended, it's all about hey, did you guys know the Hellfire Gal is coming? It's like, well, yeah, no crap, it'll get there, right? It's it's inevitable. <laughs> the books will get there. Can we maybe explore some stuff now instead of like these kind of throwaway lame duck arcs that are just here to fill time until we get to the next big event? I mean, that that's not an X complaint, that's just a comics complaint, unfortunately. I just wish... I wish the industry was a little bit healthier, where we can just enjoy some... Just some regular stories every now and again. Anyway, Damien continues, and he says, On to the discussion of ranking the Reign of X books. I did ask for folks to uh, give us a tier list of the, uh, of the Reign of X books here, so Damien provides us with the following. He says, I would have to put four books at the very top. Marauders, X-Factor, New Mutants, and Hellions. I have to read them on the day they come out, and I always get something out of them. And yeah, you know, as far as Reign of X books are concerned, 
those are the tops. Uh, not counting, you know, things like Way of X, which only have, you know, an issue or two out, but books that, you know, came out of X at 10s and hit the ground running. Yeah, that's as good as it's going to get, I think. Marauders has, has been the, uh, you know, the most consistent book since we even started doing this show. X Factor has been a delight. New Mutants finally has a direction, and Hellions, I mean, Hellions is Hellions. Uh, Damien continues, second tier would be Cable and Sword. I quite enjoy reading both of them, but I'm happy to wait for Unlimited, as I don't feel invested in the characters or the situations as much. I don't get upset if I spot a spoiler before reading them. I think these are two books that uh, you're kind of safe, like, waiting for uh, Unlimited to pick up, because, as far as I can tell, not very many people are talking about either of them. I'm guessing that Cable uh, number 12 will deliver many, many spoilers. <laughs> I think people will decide that that's when they want to talk about Cable pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, I think you're safe to leave those uh, leave those for, you know, two or three months down the line. Now, personally, I'd probably slot Sword a little bit lower, um, simply because of the space stuff. It's just not, not my thing. Uh, there are a lot of clever things in it. And as much as it pains me to admit, uh, Al Ewing is a darn good writer. Damien continues... Third tier is specifically reserved for X-Men. Some of the very best and some of the very worst issues have been in X-Men. Sometimes reading it feels like a punishment, and sometimes it's an absolute joy. X-Men is the book which I buy when it sounds interesting, and I skip at other times and wait for Unlimited. Basically, I'm buying all the Mystique issues. And that is probably the the perfect explanation of uh, the X-Men flagship book here. It's responsible for some of the dirt-worst issues we've covered on the show, and also some of the very, very best. The The Mystique issue, uh, issue 5, or 6, I think it was 6. Issue 6, f- uh, focusing on Mystique and her time at the Orcus Forge from her point of view. A wonderful, wonderful issue. The, you know, the, re- the reveal that uh, you know Destiny knew about Kokoa and to burn it down, I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, the next issue with the Crucible... I mean, there's hardly an episode goes by that we don't mention that one, right? So yeah, there's some very, very strong stuff in X-Men, but then there's also some not-so-great stuff. Now, Damien continues, Fourth tier is the I-don't-care-anymore tier, and that's where we place Excalibur. It features a great rogue, and I enjoy that weirdo Jamie Braddock more than I probably should, but I'm just finding it tiresome. I don't know how these stories are inspiring Marcus Toe to produce such wonderful artwork. Life has been full-on for me recently, and I just don't have the patience left to give the benefit of the doubt anymore. And I agree. I think I would probably slot Excalibur lower than the fourth tier. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I feigned caring about Excalibur when they did that uh, little two-part fox hunt thing with the, uh, with the Warwolves that gave us Amazing Baby, simply because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Otherworld, and it gave us an opportunity to actually enjoy the company of our characters here, but then it was like, okay, back to Covens, back to Otherworld. It's it's very, very dull. It really doesn't feel like it has much of a purpose anymore now that Exitens is over with. Because, I mean, got to give it give it its due. It did build up the X of Swords event, which, like it or not, was the focus of this line for a little while. I mean, 22 issues of the main story, a bunch of lead-up. It's uh, you know, It stands to reason that Otherworld was going to be a focus at that point. But now... A little, a little too much. It's it's tiresome. Absolutely. Damien continues, Finally, we come to the bottom tier, which is reserved for the Benjamin Percy books. I just don't like X-Force or Wolverine. Ultimately, they're covering territory that isn't for me. 
I've never been that interested in violent black ops style stories. I generally prefer lighter and funner stories. Even though it's at the bottom, I have to acknowledge that there are often moments or ideas that I enjoy in these stories, so I wouldn't want to say they're at the bottom because I don't like Benjamin Percy's writing. He's just employed to create a book that isn't for me. And that's fair. That's that's a very uh, fair way of putting it. Um, sometimes these stories aren't for us. Um, things like Excalibur, like I just talked about, not stories that I want, right? Uh, I can take the Percy stuff uh, a little bit better than I can take the Teeny Howard corner of the uh, of the X books right now. Uh, the Black Ops stuff, also really not for me. Um, but there are flashes of really good storytelling in X-Force and uh, Wolverine as well. Um, the pale girl story might have been a little bit eh, and the vampire stuff is really not, uh, you know, rocking my socks, but the Legacy House thing, the auction uh, with Maverick, that was pretty cool. It kind of overstayed its welcome, but it was pretty cool for what it was. Over in X-Force, we've had some pretty philosophical discussions about uh, about suicide, and, I mean, it gives us a lot of good food for thought, but it also gives us hyper-violence, uh, hundreds of deaths of Quentin Quire, and Beast acting like an absolute sociopath. So I guess we take the good, and uh, we take the bad. Uh, Damien continues, Ultimately, this is probably the strongest lineup of X-Books that I can remember. There's nothing bad enough to rank it alongside the likes of Fallen Angels, and the art teams are consistently excellent. My tiers are definitely top-heavy. Well, you're right, the art in these books, I... Struggle to think of a single complaint that I might have about the uh, regular crew, regular art teams on any of these books here. We've had a couple of uh, fill-ins that haven't really been to my liking. A uh, recent issue of X Force was uh, was really kind of amateurish. wasn't uh, wasn't my cup of tea. Um, gave us some very very strange looking characters. But uh, as far as our regular artists are concerned, um, really top tier stuff. Really really good stuff here and. Uh, as for ranking something alongside uh, Fallen Angels, X-Corp is making me wish we had six more issues of Fallen Angels, and that is a, uh, I don't say that lightly. Anyway, Damien wraps up with, Until Miss Locke gets resurrected when they discover that High Camp is a mutant power. <laughs> Make mine ex lapsed. And you know, I think that might be the first time I ever thought about Ms. Locke uh, being a mutant or not being a mutant. I don't know that I've ever given her all that much thought uh, in general. So, uh, wow, that's interesting But uh, thank you so much for writing in about Hellions And also for giving the uh, your tier list here I'd love to hear more of uh, people's tier lists here I think that's a very interesting topic And um, might make us appreciate some of these books a little bit more than we do And may point out some flaws in some books that we may not notice I think this is a, could be some very fun conversations And I invite everyone to uh, to share theirs as well Next up, Evan is talking about that very same issue. Hellion's number 10, and he agrees with Damien here. He says, I hate to say it, but I was disappointed in this Hellion's outing. There were good elements, as you mentioned, but this one didn't reach the heights of previous issues. Maybe it's closer to the second and third issue, as my admiration for this series wasn't really clinched until number four. There were good character moments, but just not enough for me to overcome the torture elements. Plus, this feels like it would have been better served as another two-parter, a la the Festival of Swords issues and the Rightbots issues. And, um, you know, you might be right that this could have been better paced as a two-parter instead of a three. But, I mean, we had to fill time. Uh, this is a, an unfortunate thing where every few months we have an event. We gotta fill the time, and uh, we don't do one-offs really anymore, except in Hickman's X-Men. 
where he might drop drop a hint of something that won't occur for a year and a half, and then we can all proclaim the, the issue that we were bored by a year and a half ago was actually brilliant in hindsight. We don't get those in the other books so much. So I think this was a case more of, hey, we've got three issues we need filled until we get to the Hellfire Gala. And so a story that may have been more suited to uh, two issues is now being stretched into three. It's a... Uh, it's another one of them signs of the times, I guess. Uh, Evan continues, I admit I'm kind of cruelly hoping that this story wraps up with Cyclops informing a tearful havoc that the Quiet Council has determined that the mannequin he brought back from Murder World can't stay on Krakoa with him. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> he brought the Madeline doll with him. Oh, that'd be wild if he like sits at a tables and stuff and makes people address it. Oh, boy. That could be a... <laughs> There's some trauma that might uh, make... Make Havoc's uh, you know, presence on the Hellions team make a bit more sense to us. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about Hellions number 10 here. It's uh, quite the divisive issue, it seems. It's, And I like that. I like that a lot. I like where we can come at things from two different angles, or th- several different angles, I suppose, and have uh, varying levels of enjoyment. Not outright dismissing a book or uh, outright touting a book as being the best thing ever. Even though the internet has taught us to think and analyze in hyperbole, we can still accept here on X Laughs that maybe things just might not be for everybody and maybe we'll have different levels of appreciation. So thank you so much for writing in about that one, Evan. Now we're going to wrap up with Andrew, who's doing a day-and-date message about X Factor number 9, the book we're covering today. He says, This issue sure is jam-packed with a compressed plot. I guess we can call it a bang-for-your-buck issue. I wish they could have at least made it a double-sized special. It's a damn shame that this book is done, but looking at what we have, it's odd that the two main storylines of this brief series are Mojo World and The Morrigan. Those don't exactly spring to mind if I think of Mutant Death Investigation Team. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. It's just really, really unfortunate that, uh, I guess that these were the, the big plot points that we started this series with here. It's maybe an indictment on... Just comics in 2020 and 2021, it's, you gotta hit the ground running, right? You just don't have the time. There is no grace period for comics anymore. These things are very expensive. Uh, I'm sure they're expensive to produce and distribute. So, I mean, I'm sure with every single book they put out, it's kind of tight, right? So, you gotta hit the ground running. So, despite the fact that X Factor has an amazing premise and a really, really fun concept... Maybe having the first few issues in Mojo World wasn't the best way to do it. I know if I wasn't a completionist, I wouldn't have bought those issues, you know, because I, I'm i out there saying I don't like Mojo World. I don't like the Mojoverse. So I would not have uh, bought those issues if I wasn't a lunatic who has to buy everything with an X on it. And I'm guessing that people who are, you know, more well-adjusted out there who can leave books on the shelves if they don't want them, they might have actually done that. And when the sales came in, it was like, hey, this isn't going so hot. And then when you bring in something like the Morrigan here, which actually taps into some X-Factor lore from the last volume that people like me absolutely love, it's still kind of a deep cut. You know, I can appreciate that. And I'd assume if you're listening to an X-Men podcast, you probably can appreciate that as well. But uh, as for widespread appeal, I don't know that it's uh, really... Got that much, right? So yeah, an excellent concept for a series, but the you know the two arcs that we launch with here are 
a little bit of a hard sell, I think, to the mainstream. So I think that's why this book might go down as one where the people who read it absolutely adored it, and those who didn't just assumed that it wouldn't be for them, or uh, maybe didn't even realize that it was a thing. Hmm, maybe X-Factor is the uh, X-lapsed of the the line here. I'm probably giving myself way too much credit there. Anyway, Andrew continues, I don't have much to say about this issue. It is what it is. I didn't dislike it per se, but it's just, and then, and then, and then sort of plot. I really like the art, and I guess the big plots were wrapped up all right. I like getting to hear what the Morgan's deal was, and now Krakoa owns Mojo World, I guess? I'm not sure what they really get out of that. Sadly, those plots weren't as interesting to me as the really great character stuff, which we get a little of this issue. A few good moments, though, like Rachel playing middleman between Northstar and Kyle about what to do for dinner, that bit made me smile. This was my first Leia Williams comic, and I'm grateful for it, because I now know that I really like her writing. Reading the banter in X-Factor often made me smile because I understood who her characters were. I think she's a very talented writer. I hope David Baldion sticks around because I really like the look of this series. In this issue, I feel he really brings his A-game with the panel layouts and page designs, not to mention the brief switch to ancient Celtic art during the Morrigan fight, which was also very cool. Anyway, it's still nice that Leia Williams seems to have had the time to wrap up her two big stories. I have no expectations for the final gala issue, so I just hope that afterwards these characters are still in the background, able to be picked back up by Williams or some other author, because there's still mysteries that I'd like to see resolved. Remember Aurora's mysterious death? <sighs> I'm sad this book is canceled. I really hope we see these characters again, but Marvel seems determined to reject what little money I begrudgingly give them. Yeah, <laughs> that's very, very well put. This too was my first uh, Leia Williams comic, and um, I came into it as folks who have listened to the show. I came into the to it a, a bit hot and cold, right? Uh, the first issue, uh, there was a lot that I liked about it, but there was also a lot I didn't like about it. I felt like, uh, especially with the character of uh, Dakin, Dakin, I think there were a lot of shortcuts being taken to basically define him by his orientation and not anything else. And I worried that that was just going to become what the series was. I had no idea that uh, Leia Williams was going to flesh out Dakin Dakin into such a such a good character, right? Uh, his relationships with everybody on the team ha- have been an absolute joy to read. And I'm almost curious to go back and read that first issue to see if there were any you know breadcrumbs laid there, or if it was just the kind of quick and dirty. This is your character. This is what you need to know about him. Sort of a thing. So yeah, I came into this not quite sure what to think. And then we got to that second issue, which I hated. (laughs) I was not a fan of that issue at all. And I was worried that, you know, uh uh-oh, maybe this isn't going to uh, be a book for me. And then I read, you know, subsequent issues of this series, out of obligation alone at first. And then I read Gwenpool, also by uh, Williams and Baldion, and... I got it. You know, I finally got it. I wasn't even really all that in on Baldeon's art style until like three or four issues in when I when it 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 grew on me to the point where it's like I don't want to see this book by any other artist because I think he has just nailed these characters here. And so is so is Ms. Williams here. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book, and uh, it's going to be missed. It's going to be missed by, uh, basically, I think anybody who read it is going to miss it, because it's it was a special book, and we have so many mysteries that 
hopefully, uh, you know, as, as I said earlier and as you say here, hopefully we see these characters again. Hopefully these things are addressed. And hopefully in five years' time, I won't be writing like a Usenet uh, fact post on uh, dangling X-threads from the Jonathan Hickman run here and have them all be X-Factor. <laughs> that would be quite unfortunate. Anyway, Andrew wraps up with, So until people stop buying Excalibur and start buying some of the better books of the line instead, make mine X-lapsed. Well, here's the thing. People aren't really buying Excalibur. We don't have numbers again, of course, but it's at the bottom of the list. I think with Cable and X-Factor canceled, it will be the absolute lowest-selling book. Maybe maybe that's why they, they launched uh, X-Corp. So Excalibur won't be the lowest-selling book. Maybe it's all a big conspiracy. That book is out there to make Excalibur look better, so they have a reason not to cancel it. That's my theory. That's my hot take. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on it. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about, uh, about X-Factor and uh, allowing me to wax a little bit more on a book that uh, I think we're, we're all going to miss. So thank you so much for that. And I invite everyone to share their thoughts about uh, this dearly departing series, as well as any of the books in the line. Maybe give a tier list, anything you'd like to talk about. I would love to hear from each and every one of you. You can find me several different ways. On Twitter, I'm Ace Comics. On Instagram, I'm 90sXmen. Uh, you can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90s X-Men, and you can listen to the entire archive of this show and every show that Reggie and I did together at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And as I've been saying a lot, if you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to uh, help me out a little bit. Help a fella out, share the show, spread the word, let people know that it is a thing that exists. Don't, let's not let it become the, the X-Factor of X-Men podcasts and just fade away into nothingness. It would really, really mean a lot to me. Speaking of which, it really means a lot to me that you'd spend, oof, almost an hour with me today. You poor people. I am so sorry it took so long, but uh, thank you all so, so much for sharing this extended amount of time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.